Well, we have been um, taking a road trip through the Word in 2012. At the beginning of this year, we challenged as many of you as would accept it to begin uh, reading the Scripture, hopefully daily. For some of you, just to begin to read on a weekly basis, perhaps, or just more often than you have been. Challenged many of you and gave you some ideas and plans to read through the entire Bible, and we're making an effort in 2012 to preach through every section of the scripture and so far we spent some time in the law those first five books of the Bible as God was was showing us who he is and beginning to form his nation again we uh, we spent some time in the Gospels and we've spent a few weeks in uh, the history books those books like Kings and Chronicles and Judges that record uh, much about the leaders and the kings and of the nation of Israel and how God worked with them and, and speaks to us. We're in the last week of that history section, and uh, next week we're going to move on to the book of Acts and see the mighty things that uh, God the Holy Spirit did through the early church. So uh, today in, in uh, the history books, we're going to look in uh, Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles, and kind of through chapters 17 through 20, there's a story of one of the kings of Judah named Jehoshaphat. Is that up on the screen, Jehoshaphat? Um, how come nobody names their kids that? Instead, just you just don't see that much. I mean, there's a lot of biblical names that are used: David, Daniel, Joshua, Caleb. A lot of names like that. You never see Jehoshaphat. It just doesn't. If you want to, does it? I don't know. Just to me, it's kind of fun to say. Do you want to say it with me, Jehoshaphat? And uh, maybe later in the day, when you're frustrated about something. Uh, if you're tempted to use God's name, don't use it. Maybe you could use uh, Jehoshaphat um, when you're frustrated later. Uh, Jehoshaphat was a good king. And there's a, a record of a lot of kings that were not good. And another thing you need to understand during this time in the, in the period of history that's recorded in the Bible, you have a divided kingdom. Israel is divided. The northern part is retaining the name Israel and the southern part, the name of Judah, the name of the, of the most significant tribe from that region, Israel and Judah. Jehoshaphat is a king of Judah, the southern kingdom, if you will. He's the son of, of a king named Asa, um, and he learned much from his father. His father also was primarily a good king and, and tried to, to lead uh, the nation of Judah and lead God's people uh, toward God. So Jehoshaphat was a good man, a good king. And it says about, about Jehoshaphat that the Lord was with him. Now that's what made him good. That's what makes any of us good, is the presence of God. And we should all be reminded today that any goodness that's within us is because of him. The Lord was with him. And he says the Lord was with him because he did not worship Baal. That is, the, the, the God of the, the primary God, fertility God of the, the region of the world at that time. And it really represented a lot of gods. And the reason that God was with him is because he was with God, not with Baal. He was on God's side and following him. And it says that this, that Jehoshaphat was deeply committed to the ways of the Lord. Deeply committed. I want to read these verses 3 through 6 from 2 Chronicles chapter 17 that describe him here. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father's early years. You see that, fathers? 
See that influence? And did not worship the images of Baal. He sought his father's God and obeyed his commands instead of following the evil practices of the kingdom of Israel. So the Lord established Jehoshaphat's control over the kingdom of Judah. All the people of Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat, so he became very wealthy and highly esteemed. And catch this again. He was deeply committed to the ways of the Lord. He removed the pagan shrines of Asherah poles from Judah. Jehoshaphat was deeply committed to the ways of the Lord. And you can see that it wasn't just with his mouth. He took action as a king and a leader to try to rid the nation of the influences that would lead people away from God. That's what the Asherah poles, the images of Baal, that's what all of that refers to. And so he became a very prosperous and powerful king. You can see that the people began to follow him. They brought him the the treasures and it wasn't about his personal wealth. It was about the kingdom becoming very prosperous and strong. And it also, uh, it shows us that, that he was a, a, a king who led his nation into many, many victories. You can see that where the troops began to follow him and he began to, to build fortresses and strong cities. And, and his army was stationed throughout the land and they were defeating their enemies who had been so tough on them in the past. Became very powerful and prosperous as the Lord gave him favor. And he followed God and the people followed him. He, he called for a return to God. You can look over in 2 Chronicles chapter 19. And it says that Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem, but he went out among the people. Traveled all around the countryside, encouraging people to return to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. And as he was going out, he appointed judges. He appointed judges to listen to the, the, the concerns and the problems and the troubles and struggles of the people and to make wise judgments. He appointed judges that had integrity. That's what he wanted. It says that he went to the judges and he said to them, always think carefully before pronouncing judgment. And remember that you do not judge to please people, but to please the Lord. And he will be with you when you render the verdict in each case. Fear the Lord, he said, and judge with integrity. The Lord our God does not tolerate perverted justice, partiality, or the taking of bribes. He was calling the leaders under him to be people who knew God and followed his ways and judged and treated people with truth and integrity. He was deeply committed to the ways of the Lord. Mahatma Gandhi, who was not a Christian but but understood our faith well, and when, uh, when asked what influence we, we Christians could have on other people, especially in, in the nation of India where he was from, he, sa- he said, be more like Christ. And he said this, one man cannot do right in one department of life while he is occupied in doing wrong in any other. Life is one indivisible whole. That's what it means to walk with integrity. And to be deeply committed, not living a double, divided life. So Jehoshaphat was a really, really good king. When you, especially when you compare to a lot of others that are recorded in the history books of Scripture. He was a cut above most of them. And followed the ways of the Lord. But Jehoshaphat did make some really big mistakes. 
some really big mistakes that had costly, costly uh, results from them. And, and the first of those big mistakes was he made unhealthy alliances. Unhealthy alliances. He made one with King Ahab, who was the king of Israel. And you can read the, you can read the corresponding history. Ahab was not following the ways of God. He was not deeply committed to that. He was into worshiping all other gods and all kinds of wild and crazy stuff was going on under his reign and his influence. And Jehoshaphat made an alliance with him. And it didn't turn out well. He also ignored God's warning a couple of times. Which is always a dangerous, dangerous thing. The unhealthy alliance that he formed, what he did was he, he joined in a... In, in a battle with, uh, with Ahab, took Judah and Israel together. And you think, well, wouldn't that be good, a healthy alliance to reunite the kingdom and go after this particular enemy that Ahab said was causing trouble? Isn't it, isn't it good to reunite? Well, it can be, but in this case, it wasn't God's direction. Ahab wanted to go into battle and wanted, wanted the kingdom of Judah and Jehoshaphat to join him. And so he called all his prophets of Baal together. It says 400 of them. He called 400 of these prophets and said, should we go into battle? And they said to him, oh, yes. Yes, go, go, go. You'll win the battle. Jehoshaphat wasn't quite so sure. And he said, don't you have a prophet of Jehovah? Don't you have a prophet of God that we could bring in and talk to? And Ahab said, yeah, there is this one guy. His name is Micaiah, but he never tells me anything good. All he ever says to me is, I'm going to get in trouble. He just, ne- I mean, I, he, he just never prophesies anything but doom and gloom for me. And, you know, I just really don't want to hear him. But Jehoshaphat insisted and said, no, let's, let's bring him in. Let's, let's hear what he has to say. And you know what Micaiah had to say? He said, you go into that battle and The troops are going to get scattered, and the king is going to die. And Ahab says, see? He never says anything positive. Never says anything good. You've got to remember who Ahab was and who he was following. So that's what happened. You can read about it in 2 Chronicles chapter 18. They go into battle, and it doesn't go well. And Ahab, even though he tried to disguise himself, he's killed. He's killed in the battle. And Jehoshaphat barely escapes with his life because he cried out to God in the last moment and God rescued him and saved him. An unhealthy alliance, ignoring God's warning. Now you could maybe this morning, I'm sure some of you... uh, might not voice this, but you're thinking this. You know, I came here this morning. I got up out of bed and on a Sunday. And you came here and, you know, you're, this pastor's up here talking about somebody I've never heard of from an, a book in the Bible that I maybe glanced at. And what is this story about this king with a crazy name? What, what does this have to do with me and my life? Well, I hope by the power of the the Word that's alive and the power of the Holy Spirit that inspired it and still speaks to it, that you might think with me for just a couple more minutes 
about what we've heard in this story. And I want to ask you some questions. The first question I want to ask you is this. How committed are you to the one true God? How committed are you? If you were filling out a survey today, don't you love to fill out surveys? Does anybody fill out the surveys when, you know, when they come to you with the check at the restaurant and say, if you'll fill out this, go home and fill out this survey online, you'll get a, you'll get a free appetizer. And, and does any, do anybody go home and do that? I mean, I, you know, I, I think I've done it once. And you just, what happens for me is then you end up with 6,000 emails back because you fill out that survey from, from, every, you know, from every company in the universe. That was my experience. But when you, if you fill out a survey this morning, and the question was, how committed are you to the one true God? And the first line said, somewhat committed. Somewhat committed. In other words for somewhat, uh, sort of. Kinda, a, a little bit. Well, then maybe, maybe. How about this? How about mostly committed? Mostly committed. I mean, for the most part. Well, that actually sounds like. I mean, a lot of us would probably say. I mean, isn't that good enough? I mean, mostly. How about if the line said, "Are you deeply committed?" To the one true God. What do, you, what do you think? They just had the NFL draft, and, and uh, some of you followed that a little bit, and everybody's wanting the Texans to get the player or two that'll put them over the top. And what do you think will happen when those rookie Texans come into training camp uh, in a few months and they get that commitment speech from the coach, from the veterans on the team? Do you think it's going to go something like, listen, you guys coming in here drafted, you want to be Texans, we, we really, really want you to be kind of committed to what we're doing here. We want you to sort of buy in to, to what we're wanting to accomplish as a team. And we just hope that you'll give us something, you know, that you'll just be somewhat committed to the team. You think, what if Jesus, when he came, would have been somewhat committed to the mission that God had given him? What if he had just been even mostly committed? Where would that, maybe I'm just going to surmise and say, mostly committed, maybe he'd have, He'd have said most everything that he said. He would have performed most of the miracles and touched and healed most of the people and fed most of the people that he did. But when it got to that night in the garden and he knew what was ahead of him, I think mostly committed would have stopped there. But he was deeply committed. And so he went to the cross. And he suffered and he took on my sin because he was deeply committed to the ways of the Lord. How committed are you 
to the one true God. The second question, which plays in very much to the first, what unhealthy alliances have you made? What unhealthy relationships with people, commitments to other things, what unhealthy alliances and relationships have you formed? I had to take uh, several philosophy classes in order to get my uh, uh, degree in religion in college. And then I had to take some more in seminary to get the master's. And, and I just want to tell you, I never wanted to become a philosopher. I never sat in one of those classes and thought, this is what I'm going to do and talk about and think about the rest of my life. Uh, because 50, 60% of the time, I was reading that book, and I would read a paragraph and go, well, I guess I'll read that again. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know what half of these words mean. And even the words that I do know what the words mean, when you put them together in a sentence that way, I don't know what that means. <laughs> but occasionally there was some light that would come through, through the philosophers. And, and one that became one that I, I did get something from, and over the years I've read more of his work was a, a, a Danish philosopher. Not, that's not a philosopher about pastries. It's somebody from Denmark. Um, Soren Kierkegaard was his name. Lived well over a hundred years ago. And Soren Kierkegaard said some things that I could understand. One, one time he, he, he told a story about a goose. A goose who was wounded and uh, who landed in a barnyard with some chickens. And uh, he played with the chickens and he ate with the chickens. And after a while, that goose thought he was a chicken. So one day, a, a, a flight of geese goes flying over and they're in that beautiful formation up in the sky and they're honking as they're migrating towards home. And they gave that loud honk up there in the sky and the goose heard it. And something stirred inside him and something was kind of calling him to join those geese up in the sky and and he rose a few feet in the air as his wings began to move which hadn't moved in a long long time and and it began to rise and began to rise and then all of a sudden he just stopped and he settled back in to the mud of the barnyard he heard the cry but he settled for less. I guess he'd just become too attached. Soren Kierkegaard also warned that the age of the crowd, as he called it, was upon us. This is a hundred years ago. He said the age of the crowd is upon us, and in such an age, people would not think of deciding for themselves. They would instead Choose to follow the advice that you give to a child when that child goes off to a party. That advice being, look and see what others are doing and behave like them. What are the unhealthy influences and alliances that have so much to do with who you are today? Where you go and what you do person you've become.
I was thinking about that, and I was, I was reading, some, reading some stuff and some stories and, and a website of Christianity Today, and, and I ended up following this link to something that caught my attention about half-heartedness, and, and it led to this blog that this lady named Janelle Paris was writing. And um, the blog was about uh, something that's, you know, very prominent today, and don't get defensive uh, right off the bat because even I have a Facebook account and I look at it two or three times a week and sometimes like stuff. I don't post very much stuff and um, I just got to be honest, about 80% of what I see, I'm just like, hmm. So um, does that hurt anybody's feelings? It doesn't mean I don't like anybody here. It's just, it's just kind of the way I look at it. Um, I love to see you know, pictures from, from the past and reconnect sometimes with people and all of that. And of course, any pictures of my grandchild, you know, the whole website should exist just for that. So there you go. This lady was talking about that, and she was talking about the fact that, of course, growing up in this culture, which there are cultures around the world that aren't like this one, now, there are lots of them. One of the major things that we have in our culture is dating. Um, prior to marriage, after marriage maybe. Um, and uh, she just talked a little bit about that. And she said, you know, my love for my husband uh, may be like a bright and burning sun in the sky. But having dated means there are other small stars that are visible in my sky. Perhaps especially when the sun's light occasionally wanes, those, those stars become a little bit brighter. And she said, before the internet, if those stars were far away, I had no idea where these men lived or how to find them if I wanted to. And now they're as close as that glow-in-the-dark screen that sits in front of me. And she said this. She said, I, I know what full-blown adultery is, but fidelity, faithfulness, is breached or broken long before physical acts occur. How about looking at an ex's profile pictures and imagining the life you could have had together, the children you could have been raising, the house you could have bought, how about looking at old photos of your, your exes posted and remembering the encounters you had in that time and place? And how about indulging the brief thrill that arises when his or her name appears in your email inbox or your Facebook wall? A little rush gets fueled by the passwords and experiences shared only between the two of you. How about nurturing the notion that you missed your chance? with somebody that could have been your real soulmate. And so you keep in touch with your supposed soulmate. And she said, you know, these actions and attitudes may not be adultery, but they certainly do not represent loyalty. And she said, Facebook presents me with nicely worded options. What do you get on that, you know, the the friend request, it's confirm, 
ignore, right? Confirm and ignore. She said, this guy is probably just saying hello. Just saw my name and a picture on a mutual friend's page. And chances are, really, probably, it's no big deal. But she said, I've made my choice regarding the man as well as his request. And she said, old flame, you can consider yourself just quietly ignored. I say, well, pastor, did you come up with this whole sermon to criticize Facebook? No. It's just a prime example of our culture and day and just what unhealthy alliances have you formed? What are the relationships, the friendships, the influences, the habits, the stuff that you constantly put in here and here that is not an alliance with the one true God? And then this final question. What instructions from God have you ignored? Is there something that you know clearly that God has said to you and you've ignored it? Now, there's just tons of instruction here that's just plain as can be. There are other parts of it that do take definite study and discernment and the Holy Spirit really revealing it, but there's all kinds of instruction in here that perhaps we've ignored. And then maybe there's something specific to you that you know God has called you to do and to be. But you've ignored it. There's the warning God's given you not to go there, not to... And I, I, just, I just have to tell you, I don't know the timing of it. I mean, it, it may well be down the road quite a bit. I don't know the timing of it, but I can promise you if you ignore God's warning, just like it happened for Ahab and Jehoshaphat, it will not end well. Hey, that's kind of heavy. It's kind of tough, isn't it? But God wants us to hear today that if we'll stay deeply committed to Him, we will have a strength and a peace and the kind of power and prosperity that may not translate into the world's definition of those things, but it'll be the strength of our life and the hope for eternity. How committed are you to the one true God? Is He alone the Lord of your life? Father, I thank you today for your, uh, your presence here. I thank you for uh, this story that um, you placed in your word for a reason, for us to learn from, for us to, to grow from. And fathers, as we think about these questions that we've heard today, I pray that your spirit would, would speak strongly to us. 
I pray that we would be willing to be honest with ourselves and with you, that when the question's asked, how committed are you to the one true God? We would really know if we're deeply committed, and if we're not, that our desire would be awakened to be so. I pray, Lord, today that you would, you would help us to, to think about our relationships, our habits, the, the things that are very influential on in our lives. Be honest about that and think about what's not healthy in terms of our walk and relationship with you and the impact that we're having on the world, the influence that we're having on our children, on our families, the impact that it's making on our spouse, our friends. And Lord, if there's anything today that you've called us to, any direction that you've given, any warning given, any any call to do something in, in your name for someone else that we've ignored, I pray that today we would take that first step of obedience to say, I'm not going to ignore it anymore. And I pray this in Jesus' name.